Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Sam Soholt, it's good to meet you, buddy. Yeah, good to meet you, too. I've heard so much about you. I've done so much research on you over the last couple of days. I'm excited to talk to you and hear some of the stories and just hear what you got going on at the present time. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Rather than going into a big, long intro, which we'll do later, I thought it'd be cool to go into what is that one photograph or that one photo shoot that ranks at the top of your list? Because if I remember right, I think you started in 2008. Uh, yeah, yeah, roughly. Um that's kind of, I think that's probably when I got my first professional video camera, but I didn't actually start really shooting for anybody until 2011. So 2011. So, so that's nine years. I mean, that's a lot of yeah. time. What What's that one thing that sticks out in your mind that, that was just that best learning experience or the best shoot? And it doesn't have to be. It could be, you know, shooting kids in a park. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just what's that one thing that ranks right up there for you? That's a good question because nobody ever asked me that. Like it's, it's nobody, like, you know, and I, I don't talk about this trip very often other than the fact that it was like a bridge to the next thing. But the like really it was I was shooting for somebody else and I was filming at the time. And this was back in 2013. Um, I was filming for the History Channel, but I had picked up a Canon 7D and uh, was was learning to shoot photos as well. Like as you know, I, I had got the camera to use for cutaways on hunting sh stuff and whatever, but um, I was teaching myself how to actually shoot good photos. And on this trip for the History Channel, I shot, I don't know, 2,500 photos to kind of go along with the, the filming. And I did a bunch of editing and, and gave them to the guys that were on the very, that was, it was the very last hunt that I was filming. And like that trip, because I took those photos and gave them to those guys is what led me to my actual first professional photo shoot. Because the guy, one of the guys I gave the photos to just happened to be the PR manager for uh, Remington Firearms. And so like just, you know, it was just me messing around shooting photos of Chris and his buddy uh, John. And, you know, some of them turned out, some of them didn't. But I gave him like 400 photos at the end of the trip. And he's like, hey, you ever, you know do any other shoots? I was like, well, I film, but I haven't done any photography. He's like, oh, well, you need a job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that was kind of like, that one sticks out to me a lot when I like think back on just all the different stuff I've done. How did you learn that the first video part portion of things? Is that something you just picked up and figured out or did you go to school for that or how, how'd that work out? So I didn't go to school for it. Um, I grew up interested in it. You know, I had a little Canon handy cam and um when i was really little like the over the shoulder vhs camera that my parents had like i was shooting like my buddy's rollerblading and stuff in the um <laughs> and i actually didn't even remember it but i was looking at some old home video from law you know i think i don't know 1998 or whatever and uh there's a clip of my buddy rollerblading and <clears throat> my sister was actually holding the camera but you can hear me like hey move it over here like tilt it down here, like shoot from this angle. Like, you know, I'm whatever, 12 years Directing. old. <laughs> Directing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up interested in it and, you know, had thought that like being part of a hunting show or filming a hunting show would be a fun thing, but had never really 
pursued it. And so when I was in college, um, I was still interested in it. And I actually had made a deal with my parents way early on in my life that if I didn't drink till I was 21, I could pick out any shotgun that I wanted when I turned 21. So they did that for all three of us kids. And so my brother got a shotgun when he turned 21. Uh, when I turned 21, I didn't really need a shotgun. I had a, my old beater Browning BPS that did the job just fine. So rather than a shotgun, I actually split a Canon uh, XH-A1S video camera with my dad for my 21st birthday. So like I all of a sudden had this professional video camera uh, and then it sat on the shelf for two years or three, <laughs> you know. And my last year of college, I started archery hunting and was just all fired up about you know, hunting and like thought maybe I wanted to actually try to film a hunting show. And so I just started cold calling hunting shows, emailing any, you know, contact that I could find, um, telling people that I was a master student in business and, you know, like had no experience in videography, but was willing to learn. And, um, Bill Winky down in Southern Iowa with Midwest Whitetail emailed me back within a couple hours and was like, Hey, why don't you come down over Christmas break and interview? We always look for interns and um, next thing I knew I was in Albia and working for Bill. Hmm. So that was really my first like real, like we'll call it formal training, but it was just like training by fire. Like, uh, you need to learn how to do this and learn how to edit like next week. So like, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so I spent the whole fall in Southern Iowa just filming, um, at least twice a day or hunting or, you know, and editing in between. So you obviously grew up with that outdoors background, which we find is very common for wildlife photographers or anybody in this outdoor photo film world. I mean, everybody has some sort of link from their childhood. And then for me, it was like, how, what can I figure out? What kind of job can I get that keeps me in this line of work? And so mm -hmm. is that how you grew up just outdoors all the time? Yeah. I mean, it was every weekend my dad was taking us somewhere and like to the point where like towards the end of the fall, my mom would always be like, could you just leave him home for one weekend? <laughs> you know, like, because you're always gone hunting or fishing or doing whatever. And so, yeah, I grew up with, um, always outside and, you know, like if it was nice out, it was just like, get outside. Like you don't, what are you doing inside? Like, you know, go explore, go do whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up in a outdoor oriented family, which really set me on the path that I was on. And just like you, it was like, how do I, what job allows me to do what I love to do more often? And, uh, you know, people ask me a lot, you know, would you rather have a camera or a weapon? You know, <laughs> and like, I'm always going to choose the tag. Like, I'm always going to choose <laughs> the, the bow or the gun. But photography and videography allows me to be in the woods and doing what I love, you know, most of the year, which is, which is great. So I got to ask you a question. Did you finish your master's degree? I did. Yeah. So awesome. So, so you're a professional videographer with a master's in business. Yes. That's beautiful. <laughs> yep. You could go a lot of places with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So I figure if I ever really fall flat on my face in the photo and video world, I can go get a job, you know? <laughs> no, whoa, whoa, whoa. We ain't even talk yeah. about that. No. <laughs> I bet you that comes in handy though, having that business, you know, cause I think a lot of creative types that are out there in this world, don't really have that business background. And so it's really hard to make something work. Yeah, it's cool. You can go out and make a really cool photo or a really cool video, but then now what do I do with it? That being said, today's world, there's no better time than the present. I mean, with YouTube and Instagram, and you don't have to rely on somebody else publishing your stuff. But 
it's still, it's not an easy gig at all. So having that background, it's got to be pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, I think for me, it made a huge difference. Uh, you know, my undergrad in business, you know, obviously learned a lot in like through that, just management courses and different stuff. Um, but really like getting my master's, I think what it taught me the most was, and, and people will say this about any type of grad school, but really just like networking one and jumping through hoops. Like if you, if you realize that grad school is simply like, they just set up a series of hoops that you have to jump through to make this happen. And it's a pain in the ass, but you have to do it. And if you correlate that into everyday life, like you can frame your life however you want and just realize that regardless of what you choose, there's just a series of hoops that you have to jump through to get there. And so once you have that, like that really stuck with me, like learning that through school. And I think it, I think it helped me like, I mean, it was invaluable, like how much that helped me just knowing that the work had to be done in order to get to where I wanted to be. Yeah, no, I, I have the same kind of a background. I actually have a master's in business and I'm a, I'm a full-time manager for a corporation. That's my, that's my job, right? So mm -hmm. my passion is photography, but I, I would agree with you hundred percent. You couldn't have said it better. It really is just all about that, right? And that applies to anything. But the one thing we talk on here quite a bit about is also knowing how to market yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think at least, you know, I think I've I picked up some of that from my master's degree as well. Um, would you say that that applied for you as well? Yeah, I actually, um, I would say so. I had a, uh, um, a bunch of marketing classes. And so I think that helped as well. Like not so much, it didn't train me so much like how to market me, but yeah. it trained me like it was really high level courses about how to advertise and market like specific things. And if you realize that all marketing comes down to is helping people fulfill a project, everybody's got a project. And so if you, whatever you're working on, whether it be marketing yourself, like say I'm going to pitch myself to a company, their project is to create a certain type of content for a certain type of launch or a certain type of catalog or whatever it might be. You are the tool that is helping them finish that project. And so you just have to put yourself in that position where you explain to whoever you're pitching to or whatever you're working on that you're going to help them finish that project. And yeah, I would say them, you know, like having a master's of business helped market myself really well. Yeah. Cause it's so, I mean, we talk about it too. Having an Instagram page just isn't enough. I mean, it's easy to put your pictures, your photos, your videos, whatever it might be on Instagram. And then, you know, a lot of guys, including myself, when I first got into this, just kind of with, I thought, well, heck, I'll just throw some stuff on there. If it's good enough, people will recognize me and voila, you know, <laughs> I'll get recognized and I'll have all these gigs coming my way and it'll just be amazing, you know, and, and there's so much of that out there, right, that you've got to set yourself apart. You've got to figure out a way to get the right connections, you know, mm -hmm. so maybe, I don't know if there's any of that that applies, but, um, you know, it's, it's not easy. Not, it's just, uh, it's never ending. And I think the one thing that people probably don't realize in, and you're better at it than almost anybody that I know is if you want to succeed in like, especially this day and age with, with how much content there is, you have to constantly be feeding it something your like your page or your brand or whatever. If you're not consistently feeding it, like your, you know, followers or whatever, like have something new to look at. If you don't, like you start to lose it in a hurry. And that's, 
man, it's a, it becomes a grind. I mean, it's all, it's always fun, but like, it's never ending. No, you're hundred percent right. And I'd say actually it does get old. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is yeah. a grind, you know, it becomes a grind. You get tired of posting stuff every day and trying to think of something to say. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you're and, and then I, a lot of times I ask myself, what am I doing it for? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I know why I'm doing it, but I ask myself, am I really getting what I think I should be getting out of the time I invest into doing that, you know, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. anyways, thank you for that compliment, by the way. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so the one thing I was going to say is I think that that master's degree, it's, it's a confidence thing, right? And I think being a photographer requires a ton of confidence because I can't tell you how many gigs I've went into where I'm like, you know what? I really don't know what I'm doing here. I hope that I can produce what is being asked of me. And you're just kind of riding that wave and trying to figure out, Am I hitting the mark? And hopefully you got a creative director or someone there with you that's at least looking at the stuff saying, yeah, 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 you're hitting it. Or you know what? We're, we're not looking for that. We're looking for this. And you just got to have thick skin and have that confidence. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, it's uh, it, it's terrifying. Like, it's not as scary as it used to be. Um, but early on, man, like when I got hired for that first, like, photo shoot, I was freaking out. I was... <laughs> I was doing, you know, I shot a new product seminar for Remington. So I was shooting photos of like 25 different writers and editors um, using the new products so then they could use them for their articles at basically every gun magazine that exists. And man, like I went down, like just completely freaked out. And luckily, you know, it it went okay. But (laughs) um, yeah, I would say going into it, you definitely have to have like the confidence to just roll in and figure it out. And even if you are scared, don't try to show it. (laughs) Yeah. Act like you belong. Right. Right. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I, I find myself doing that a lot and it always works out and hopefully you got a couple, two or three days shoot going on where you just, you kind of get the vibe and you get things figured out and it, it all comes together. It's the the ones that really scare me. It's like, okay, we got three hours and I do a lot of commercial work for big sporting goods company and they'll bring in, you know, some high powered superstar and you're like, you got three hours or not even that. Sometimes it's like, you got one hour, make something cool. And, and it's just the pressure is just like, Oh man, I hope this comes yeah. together. And I think one of the podcasts, it was actually with Ben O'Brien, but I was listening to you had that situation with, you knew, did you know you were going to be shooting the cover of outdoor life or did, did that all come about after you got the images or Going into that shoot, did you know that that photo shoot was for the cover? Yeah, no, uh, I knew going into it, like, we're going to BC to shoot the cover for Peterson's. Like, that's why we're there. And uh, so that was a lot of pressure. Um, oh, I said outdoor life. It remember, was Peterson's hunting, right? Or Yeah, which? Peterson's hunting. Okay. Yeah. And I remember going into it, like, I just figured for so long, you know, you've seen every cover of hunting magazines and it's always got some giant animal on it or whatever, you know, some guy sitting behind some huge, you know, monstrosity or an elk, you know, um, (laughs) photo, but it's, uh, it was nice to know that the focus of that one, like after I got up there was not so much like shooting some giant, it was all about the meat of the animal. The whole thing was all about that. So that took off a little pressure, but yeah, like we, shot the animal we needed to shoot the cover and then rogan was like he wasn't mad that he had to do the photos he was just mad that ben still had a tag and we weren't hunting and so like (laughs) we would set up the shot with mike hawkridge like standing in for rogan and then we'd be like all right joe get out here and then joe would come out and like stand in for the frames or whatever like and (laughs) then we'd you know send a couple 
test shots or whatever and back and forth. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it was, um, it ended up being pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I think you just got to have that, that confidence and then just got to carry over and then having been on that shoot was probably a huge help. If he's got a vision, you guys, you have a vision and you get working together to pull it off and, and it is awesome. I just saw it. I think I was looking through your Instagram account and I think you, it was a five year anniversary or something. Yep. I just reposted it a couple of days ago. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I was, it's funny cause that shot, I, I shared the, some of the other shots that could have been potential, like used for the cover. And I was, you know, I'm happy that they chose the one that they did. Cause I think it really became a somewhat iconic shot within the hunting space just because it's so raw. And so that was, you know, pretty proud of that one for sure. But it definitely helped having been up there because go like, you know, he was like, I already have an idea of what I want for the cover shot. So do so. So you're out there now. You do either or, right? You're you're promoting yourself as a videographer slash photographer. Mm-hmm. And I I it's I've made the transition almost completely to photography. I oh. do. Yeah, I don't do nearly as much video for the last three years. I had I had filmed for uh, Jason Matzinger with um, into High Country TV, and so I'd filmed his elk basically all of September. I had done for three years in a row. And then last year, I there was a different shoot that conflicted, and I ended up being in Alaska during that time. Um, so I do a lot less video work than I do did used to do, um, but now I'm kind of ramping that back up for all of the YouTube stuff and you know diving back into it. So it's not uh, as clean as it sometimes was when I was focused on TV stuff, but I figure yeah. you know it's just need to get the content out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things I've always thought about is that you know that'd be an amazing job. You're out actually hunting. You may not all be always be carrying a weapon, but you're you know you're carrying a camera, video camera, you know, still camera either way. But the other thing that it, for me, because I'm I am a hunter as well, and I always find that struggle. Like you said, if you have to pick, you're gonna pick the tag, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I get that, but it's you know when you're doing when you're on on assignment, you don't always get the chance to pick the tag, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you balance that with, you know, I mean, I know your passions in hunting and I know that's, you know, you've got that background, but you know, how do you balance that with the workload that you have and the requests you have? And do you still find time to actually get out and do some hunting for yourself? Yeah, I've, uh, I've been really lucky. So, um, early on I was basically, I was doing a lot less hunting and a lot more shooting like photos and video. And, you know, I would get, Oh, couple weeks, maybe three weeks of fall, like that I would be hunting for myself. And over time, I, I just, I, I didn't want the structure to be that way. Like I didn't want to always be the one following a guy around in the woods. And yeah. so I started to figure out ways to, okay, I can go on my own hunts or go on hunts with buddies and family. And as long as I have the gear, you know, or the whatever product or whatever lifestyle stuff that I need to shoot, as long as I can talk my buddies and my family into playing model for a little bit here and there or shooting photos of myself or whatever it might be, I've been able to structure it where I get to do almost exclusively all my own hunting and then I'm still able to provide the content that I need to to all of the brands that I do work for. So it's a lot less following people around than it used to be, which is great. It's just, you know, I tried to transition slowly into that lifestyle where I'm, you know, basically hunting for myself almost every time I go out. Yeah, and hence I guess the less video, more photography. That mm-hmm. that would make yep. sense, right? So, yeah, yep, for that's, sure. That's that's pretty smart. <laughs> I, it just worked out that way, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with today's world. I mean, you look at 
what Yeti's doing. And you look at some of these other companies as far as what they're producing. It's not about, you know, for a long time, it was just all about hunting, you know, not hunting, but it wasn't the experience. It was more about, oh, we're going to try to, we're hunting this animal and we got to have that happen before anything happens. Well, nowadays you can do a whole show and you're never successful with any animal at all. It's more about the experience. And I think that's why we're all out there anyways, right? Ultimately, at the end of the day, yeah, it's great if you can get a deer in your freezer or an elk in your freezer and you have your own meat for the whole year. But for me, it's more about, I just want to be out there. And if that's the reason for me to be out there, and I think that type of storytelling is what resonates with people these days. So if you can tie a brand to that story or to your experience or to your life, it just means so much more and it has so much more value to that product. Is you, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think the experience for me is definitely like a, a large portion of why I do it. It's like, I, just as an example, like, you know, obviously we're all kind of in this weird situation right now where it's, you know, it's better off just staying home, staying away from people, like doing your part just to help, you know, protect others. But I was like, I just need to get out of the house. And uh, so the other day, um, some buddies of mine had turned me on to going out and calling raccoons. And I had like they had filmed a video of it. And I was like, oh, that looks really fun. And so I got an electronic collar from Lucky Duck. And uh, Buddy and I were just that, that is a neighbor across the street. We just like drove down to some public land and hiked out and like just got out in the woods and turned the call on and called it a raccoon first try. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh man, like, and then for like three days, like just that whole experience, everything that happened, it was this whole new thing. And like, I was like so much happier for like the next, like, it was like, it filled my cup back up. Like I was like, okay again. And so I think, um, that really showed me like how much just the experience of being outside and doing all those things like really means to like my well being as a person. Yeah. That's definitely why we're all out there. Yeah, that's a great story. I just actually did the same thing recently. I was telling Mike about it. I went out here in the West Desert because, you know, I'm trying to do my part too. Mm-hmm. And West Desert of Utah, there's a herd of uh, feral horses out there. And they're pretty fun to go out and spend some time with and try to do some photography and stuff with. And I just went out and spent the entire day out there by myself. And it was just, I felt so much better. You know, I get back and <laughs> man the fresh air and the horses and just everything the desert this time of year is amazing and just you know i was just like you said just charges your batteries you know and Mm -hmm. it does it's a great reminder of how how we need that you know it's not it's not good for us to be cooped up in a home it's just not you know and so this is this is hard you know this is hard right now it's the right thing to do don't get me wrong but it's you know it's just it's hard and 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 i think there's a lot of people don't realize how much they really need that you know they don't they don't have that as part of their life and when people get a taste of it, man, you can see the excitement and the, you know, the, the drive in their face, you know, it's just, yeah, I don't know, but yep. yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> I think, uh, when you guys were talking, would you rather be out shooting photos or if you have a tag in your pocket, would you rather be out hunting? And for me, I, I grew up hunting and then it's that photography thing that just, but I was always shooting for hunting magazines or, you know, that whole genre and for me, shooting pictures is like panning for gold. You know, you get that one good picture. It's like find a little nugget and then you're hooked, right? You're like, oh, I got to get the next one. And so I found myself, I gave up hunting for 15 years or, or longer just because I was just having so much fun. But a lot of times I'm out filming a hunt or I'm out, you know, I'm still doing it. The only thing I'm not doing is I'm not the actual hunter, but I'm doing everything else. And I just 
for me, it was just the way to go. And I learned so much, you know, when you're out there on your feet and you're just making that story and you just, you just learn a ton as that whole thing progresses, which we get a lot of questions on this podcast about that. What's the roadmap? You know, we'll get somebody that writes in a question. How do I become a professional photographer? How do I sell my images or how do I do this? I don't think there's a roadmap. There's nothing out there that says you do this and then you do this. Like if you're going to be an accountant or an attorney, you go to school, Mm -hmm. you take the bar exam, you hang a shingle and, and away you go with photography. I don't, you know, it's, there's a million ways to do it. And we've kind of talked about your story. Is there anything we've left out? I mean, I think it's just good for people to hear the variety. And that's even for me still today, it's like, what, how did I get here? And did I do it right? (laughs) There's no rhyme or reason to how it all shakes out. Yeah. I mean, if, if somebody tried to draw a map, it would just be crisscross roads and mountains and blocks and hurdles and rivers. (laughs) I mean, it's just, uh, it would be a mess, but uh, like for me, it, it was really, uh, so back in, 2000 and I want to say it was 2009, 2010, maybe. I've got a really good friend of mine. He actually filmed me for a whole fall a couple of years ago. One of my best friends, more like a brother now than a friend, but we're just hanging out in college one day and like um, both of us like just made like, I remember like sitting there talking to him about like what we want to do with our lives and whatever. And he was like, man, he's always been just like pretty eccentric, like kind of off the wall type guy, big thinker. And he's like, man, I just want to live life for the story. He's like, I just want to like choose like what's going to be the better story here. Like what, like I want to make the decision that's going to lead to that path. And I was like, oh man, that like, that's perfect. Like that's exactly what I needed to hear at this point in my life. And at that moment, both of us were like, yep, we're doing it. We're going to live life for the story. And so when you open, I, I mean, I think big a lot, it's, you know, probably, you know, more inspirational than I try to be. <laughs> um, but I, I think when you change your mindset to that, where you're like, you're just going to live for the experience of the whole thing. I think you start to see doors that you probably wouldn't have seen before and you see opportunities and you, and you recognize different people that you need to get to know, or, you know, like people you just need to strike up a conversation with. I think those opportunities present themselves more readily when you're ready to say like, yep, I'm going to go do that. And so like for me, I made that decision. Then I moved to Iowa um, and filmed for Midwest Whitetail. Um, I moved to Colorado right after that to Fort Collins and helped my brother run his um, backcountry hunting store and archery pro shop, which, you know, led to another connection where I met one of his sales reps, um, my buddy named Todd. And he hired me to be a sales rep in Montana. So I was in Fort Collins for about a year, moved to Bozeman. About two months into living in Bozeman, I was at the Starbucks coffee shop inside the Safeway working on sales rep stuff. Met a guy who did video production work for a hunting show. And two weeks after that, I was hired. And then I was like right back into filming. So it was just... (laughs) I, you know, like it's, it's all the, it's small decisions, but like, I think you have to like, make sure that you're ready to like, see the opportunities um, to be able to capture, be able to grab them and go through that door. I wish I'd have had that bit of wisdom when I was that age. Yeah. I mean, I, I can remember <laughs> sitting in my college graduation and I'm looking up and I'm seeing these video cameras that are filming the actual graduation. Mm-hmm. And it was part, it was, they were students, they were people at the school. And I'm, I'm like, I didn't even know this existed. 
I didn't even know that you could actually go to school for photography or video. I mean, mm-hmm. I had taken some photography courses, but nobody ever said, hey, there's a career path here. It wasn't until I started working for the National Park Service and one of these old time photographers wanted access to the backcountry in Mesa Verde National Park. And the only, that, the only way that was going to happen was to have me go as the low man on the totem pole. Yep. And, and I was able to just see this guy's making a living and he's out here doing exactly what I want to be doing. And from that point forward, that kind of set that path. But like we talked about, there's no roadmap to doing this thing. You've obviously been successful at getting your photography and video career to a point where you're making money, you're doing your thing. But you got some other things going on too with public land and you got some t-shirt stuff going on. How much does that factor in? Do you do that for fun or are you doing that as a passion or is that part of the business plan to have all these different kind of sources that, you know, it's just better to have multiple things going on and not just one thing in case you have a coronavirus thing and all your work dries up, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. Um, No, it's it's definitely part of the whole business plan. Like uh, I in 2016, uh, the end of 2016, when I bought the bus. Um, and I'll, I'll back up and talk about the bus project. But at that point, I was basically only doing video and photography work. And I had set a lot of goals for myself, you know, cover photos and being published in certain magazines and, and uh, um, working for certain brands. And, and like I had kind of like worked my way up to like built up this pipeline of, of work. And um, I was just like, what's the next thing? Like, what's, you know, like what, like I want, like, I always want another project. Like what's the next idea? What's the next, you know, like what's going to take me the next step. And that ended up being a full size school bus, which I can, you know, a 36 foot bluebird, 1993, um, 65 passenger school bus, which I bought and then converted into my rolling hunting shack and then have been using it the last three years um, as a rolling billboard for public land advocacy. And in addition to that, you know, the bus project got some traction with some different magazines and stuff. And basically the first year I just self-funded. But at the same time, my brother and I launched Public Land Tees, which was a way for us to give back to the community that, you know, really gave both of us our career path. You know, him owning a backcountry hunting store and archery pro shop and me through video and photography work in the hunting space, you know, for us to be able to give back a pile of money to conservation organizations and help keep public lands open and increase access to public lands. It was a pretty special mission for us to be able to do that through the sale of t-shirts, you know, and like we get to design all of our own stuff and come up with whatever ideas we want. And yeah, I mean, five bucks from every item we sell goes right back into uh, like the passion and the organizations that help protect those passions. So it's, it's definitely been part of like the business plan, like you said, to have your kind of have your hands in a bunch of different stuff. So on top of the photography, you know, I've had a few trips already canceled this spring for photography, but fortunately with the apparel business and some other stuff that have going on, like it hasn't been too big of an issue yet. And I think just being a little bit diversified makes a big difference in the long run. Yeah, I think you're a huge advocate for the public land stuff. And, you know, I think it crosses so many different people. You know, it's not just public lands aren't important just for hunters. Um, it's important for hikers and backpackers and mm-hmm. anybody that enjoys the outdoors. And so many people, I think, just go on a hike and don't even realize that they're on public lands. And that, you know, if they were in a different country, they wouldn't have that available to them more than likely. You know, and I think, and especially as photographers, because whether 
most photographers want to admit it or not, if you're into wildlife photography, you're basically a hunter with a camera. You know, so I think it's important for everybody, all of it, not, and I'm not trying to preach or anything, but I really do think it's important for us as photographers and hunters to really understand how important our public lands are to us and for all of us to be on board and support that. So I, I personally just want to thank you, Sam, for the example you've set, the, you know, the the things you're doing. I mean, I you're a huge advocate for everything I believe in and, you know, I appreciate it, man. You're doing a heck of a job at it, so... Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's been, uh, you know, pretty wild journey and a fun one at that for sure. Yeah. Before we finish this up, we'll we'll have you call out the links and all that kind of stuff to find those tees and and more about your bus. But before we go there, the bus is still in operation, and from podcasts yep. that I was listening to, it's going to go to events, <laughs> and it'll yep. still be on the road in a certain way. But yep. now you've got a different project. What is this project? Yeah. Yeah, so the new project, and this is super exciting, basically downsizing from the bus. Uh, so we now have the public land van. So in September, bought a, it's a yeah, 2010 Chevy Express 3500 extended wheelbase and bought that in Colorado and then drove it to Pennsylvania and had a four-wheel drive conver- conversion put on by Quigley Motor Company. And so now we have this awesome four-wheel drive drivetrain on a 3500 chassis and a you know enough room to build out whatever we want into it and so it's just a way to have something way more capable and you know just way more maneuverable within you know mountain roads and forest you know fire roads and whatever like the bus i could take it to you know a campground or blm like in the foothills and that'd be fine but like anything up in the mountains was a stretch. And if it snowed or if it was muddy, like it was just an absolute nightmare. So mm-hmm. um, the bus base camp is great for base camp. Not that awesome to drive. The van is go- is going to be just a ton of fun. So do you operate your, your photo business out of that? Or do you find yourself that you drive to most of your shoots now? Or is it vice versa? You Sometimes you fly and sometimes you drive or... Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, so with a van, is kind of its own little project. So like, I'll definitely use it on shoots. But my brother and I are doing the build together, and then we're gonna kind of like trade back and forth, like going and then obviously going together, but just doing different adventures on public land and documenting the whole process and what you can do with the van and like why you know basically using the van to preach the same message that I have done with the bus. Um, but just in a little bit different fashion, I guess. But yeah, so the, the van will be used heavily over the next couple of years. <laughs> I'm a huge like proponent the- of those van, that van life and just looking at all the videos. And I'm, you know, before this coronavirus thing, I was like dead set on, I'm going to get myself a, you know, a sprinter van or a, you know, much like what you did, some mm-hmm. sort of, you know, something where you can live in it. We find ourselves traveling to shoots by flying most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then you get a rental car and then you go do your thing and you can't have everything you want. You just have to re- be limited about what you're packing. So just being able to have a home base like that, that travels around is pretty darn cool. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. I mean, uh, you know, I obviously had a good taste of it with the bus, like being able to haul anything like that. So <laughs> I've just often <laughs> described the bus as like, the world's largest backpack. So if you know the backpack analogy, like if you have a small backpack, you fill the small backpack. If you have a medium-sized backpack, you'll fill the medium backpack. The bigger it gets, the more stuff you just jam in there. And you're like, well, I might use this. 
<laughs> the bus, I mean, man, some of those trips I went on, I felt, remember the Goofy movie where like when Goofy and his son Max are camping in like the little pit, pitch tent and then like their neighbor rolls in in the RV and hits the button and like all the walls go out and like it's all the stuff like that's how I felt sometimes in the bus it'd just be like jam-packed every little nook and cranny with different gear and I'd roll in somewhere and set up and then somebody'd be like oh I don't have this and I'd be like oh here you go here's next. <laughs> here's one here's one like, uh, yeah but so well I got I got to walk into that bus and up there in Park City and that was I mean it's a it's pretty cool man it's a neat layout you guys put a lot of work into that thing I'm that's pretty neat that was a lot of hours that summer. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, and you did a great job telling the story of it, too. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's available anywhere for folks to see, but it's a pretty neat process to watch, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, if people go back in my feed, you can kind of see how it all went, like how the whole build went. And then um, Outdoor Life did a big story on the bus and has a bunch of photos and videos. And, and then I did a video project for Onyx Maps last year surrounding the bus project and what it means. And um yeah, so it's it's out there, <laughs> and the van and the van builds in process, right? Yep, so it's it is. If, yep. if, you, if people tune in, they can actually see that in process. So. Yep, exactly. And I'm, I'm doing a better job with the van on updating, like with videos on each part of the build. So I haven't been able to get out to Colorado. I actually canceled the trip because I didn't want to be quarantined when I came back from Colorado. So. Uh, my brother's actually been working on it, so he's made some good progress on it, and then he's been filming it all along, so we'll have a lot more videos coming soon, and then, man, when when all this craziness finally subsides, we'll actually be able to hit, yeah, hit the road and, you know, go have some fun. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next for Sam? I mean, obviously, this, this van is next. It's mm -hmm. kind of immediate. What are the long-term plans? What are you thinking about doing beyond the van? I mean, that'll carry you for a couple of years, I'm sure, but... Mm -hmm. The way you're a thinker, I'm sure you've got some other irons in the fire, or at least in your head. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to know. Like, the, the van has taken up a lot of mental capacity on this one. So, you know, some of the projects going forward, like just in the short term, you know, within the next year or two, we did a big conservation initiative last year called the Stamp It Forward Initiative. Going to try to make that way bigger in 2020, as long as we're not completely shut down for the next, whatever, six months. But, you know, I'm assuming you're, a lot of your listeners are photographers, so... If you don't know what that is, um, we basically collected money from people in order to buy as many duck stamps as we possibly could. And through the course of mm, about six weeks, we raised $25,000 and were able to buy 1,000 duck stamps, which by law, 98% of the money has to go directly back to purchasing wetlands, increasing access to wetlands, making the refuges larger. Um, it's the only reason we have a refuge system. And so it was a way to basically like give a direct money shot to conservation, which was pretty cool. And so, you know, year one raised 25,000, year two, um, stamp it forward 2020. We'd love to make it 10 times bigger. The goal is to buy 10,000 stamps going, you know, through into, into 2020. So we'll see yeah. what we can do, but I'm going to, yeah. you know, I've, I've been trying to talk about it as much as I can, you know, kind of leading up to it and getting people primed that, that, so they know it's coming and just get ready to buy some duck stamps. So if somebody wants to do that, do they donate the money to you guys and you guys take care of buying the stamps? How does that work? Yeah. So what we did last year is basically I just asked people like it was <laughs> very well thought out. I rolled it out <laughs> in about a week. Um, so last year I just had people send me, I had companies jump on board and I had six different companies um, that bought a hundred stamps a piece. And then we actually ended up buying 180 stamps through public land tees. 
And then on top of that, I had people send money through Venmo or PayPal. And then with every dime that we raised, I just we went out and bought duck stamps. And then we turned that into an additional fundraiser. And we took all the duck stamps and then we gave them away with orders through our website. And so people could order three items. They'd get three duck stamps. They could keep one, give one to their grandma, give one to some stranger, explain like why it's so important. And uh, it was a way to generate additional funds that give, you know went back to public lands. And so this year, we'll actually have a link with a page where people can go on and either purchase on a page or we'll have like direct donations through, you know, PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, whatever, it, whatever medium people want to send money, we will have it on a page on our website. And so people can see all the information and why we're doing it and what we're up to. And we'll have it a lot more streamlined going forward into 2020. So can you explain, I, I would have, well, I don't know how many people know exactly what a duck stamp is. It's a stamp. It's a gum back stamp, right? So yeah. just explain what that is because I can see people thinking, is it a, an ink right. stamp or <laughs> sure. what, 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 yeah. what am I going to get when I get a t-shirt? Yeah. Okay. So I'll give it like a real quick history lesson. So basically we almost shot waterfowl to extinction through market hunting. And the majority of market hunting was for feathers, which were used for decorative hats and clothing or whatever. And that's the reason. And then obviously meat markets. And so people were going out and shooting ducks with punt guns by the hundreds and thousands. And uh, Explain what a punt gun is well, real quick. So a sorry. punt gun yeah. is, if, you, if anybody knows what like a typical shotgun is, you know, you have like a 12-gauge or a 20-gauge or a 16-gauge, whatever. Uh, a punt gun was typically like a two gauge or a four gauge. And so the barrel on the end of it was, you know, it'd be like a PVC pipe on the end and jammed with like a pound or two pounds of shot. And then they would mount them in a little boat. And they, at night, they would have a light on the front of the boat and they would basically oar themselves into a raft of ducks and then pull the trigger and launch out one giant shot and like shoot rafts of ducks at a time. And so... Yeah. Uh, in 1934, Ding Darling, um, who at the time was a political cartoonist, um, but some of the major conservationists within the country thought that we needed to figure out a way to raise money for conservation to like increase habitat and bring waterfowl back. Not only put laws on bag limits and outlaw market hunting, that type of thing, but a way to increase wetland habitat and not only for waterfowl but soil erosion water quality every other species of animal and so they launched the federal duck stamp and what it is is at the time it was a dollar and um they said basically all the money that we raised from this above and beyond shipping stamps to people will go towards building more habitat and it is it's an actual stamp um, so now the price is $25 for a stamp, but you get a little commemorative card every time and then that, that you order one and there's a, the stamp is on it and you can use the stamp to ship stuff if you want or keep it, you know, if you're hunting, obviously you have to sign it, but anybody who spends time, you know, shooting waterfowl or birding or whatever, anybody who spends time on any of the refuge system should be purchasing a duck stamp. And if any of your listeners are wondering, like, what's an easy way to get into conservation? Like, I don't want to join a conservation organization. I don't, you know, like, I don't really have like a niche market, you know, like, um, like if you want to like really donate the majority of your money back into helping a broad spectrum of animals, the duck stamps, one of the easiest ways to do it. And they're beautiful, right? They have contests and artists from all over the place draw. Isn't it a competition? 
Yeah, every year. It's awesome. There's a, a cool documentary. It's called The Million Dollar Duck. And it's all about the duck stamp competition. And so if you haven't watched it, I suggest you watch it. It's super cool. But yeah, it's a competition every single year. And they always have like a certain, you know, like I think, I don't remember, it's like three or five different species that you can choose from to paint and then submit. And so and then they have like, you know, judges and they like run, you submit your art and then they like run through the top and then they like break it all down and keep judging and keep judging. And it's, it's pretty crazy how they do it. And it's really fast. Like it happens really fast when they go to go through all the judging and, but yeah, the artistry is unbelievable. Small world. Actually, my, my wife, her uh, grad school roommate, uh, her name is Katie and her uncles are collectively have won the duck stamp competition more than anybody in history. Really? That's amazing. Houtmans. Yeah. I have to go back and look at that artwork because it, it it's a it's awesome. It you know it's it's almost photographic. I yeah. mean the detail and the, what they put together is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And just to add on to, I just bought a Colorado duck stamp yesterday. Good. So you can do that just for so people know you there's a federal, but yep. states have them as well. So you can support your state division of wildlife or whatever it is, and it all is going into habitat. You know, it's just, it's just a good thing to do. And it's, I buy them every year because my mom collects stamps. That's perfect. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's the perfect thing, right? So yep. it's just a good thing to have out there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're a busy guy. I mean, I love what you're doing. Everything all, everything around it is pretty cool stuff. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I try to keep moving. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. typically not too hard. <laughs> I actually just have a question for you. I was actually kind of curious because um, have you ever really gotten into wildlife photography? I'm just curious. And if you did, even if you haven't, I'd, I'd kind of like to know what's your favorite thing to photograph. Like if you could just go photograph something, mm-hmm. right. And it was, it was something you wanted to go do. Um, and it wasn't for a job. What would that, what would that one thing be? So, uh, on the wildlife photography thing, like I really haven't gotten into it. I dabbled in it a little bit last year during spring Turkey season. You know, I spent a lot more time um, in a ground blind. And when turkeys were coming in, I was actually just, you know, ripping off photos, um, instead of, you know, like so focused on shooting something, you know, if I had to, like, if I was just going out to shoot stuff, I really love like the lifestyle stuff surrounding hunting, like capturing that experience. You know, I tend to like, you know, when people are moving in on something or whatever, like a, a lot of times, like I don't shoot many photos when that's happening. Like I allow them to be in that moment and then shoot everything else around it. Like, just because, um, I don't know. Like, I just, I always feel like nobody needs it. Like all that extra pressure of somebody shooting photos, like right over their shoulder or whatever. Like a lot of times, like if I'm on just a photo shoot, you know, rather than video, I tell them, they're like, Oh, I'm going to go in on this or whatever. And I'm like, Hey, just go all like, I'll sit here in glass. Like I can mark for you, whatever you need me to do. And they're like, what do you mean? You're not going to come. I was like, no, no, no. Like, you go do that and then we'll get the extra photos that we need. Like I've got ev- like everything to tell the story like I've got. So, but mm-hmm. uh, just like, just that lifestyle is like, whether it be in camp or, you know, like star photos over a tent or cooking and like people hanging out and like, just, I, I don't know. Like, I love that stuff. I love being able to look back be- on those types of photos. Cause I can, I can be right there again. Like I can almost smell those places um, yeah. when I, when I get back t- and see that photo again. Yeah. Well, I can totally relate to that. That's pretty cool. Uh, you just like to tell a story. 
<laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. I was telling Jason that exact thing yesterday or whenever we talked last, Jason, I, I've evolved into that lifestyle capture in the moment kind of, I have just as much fun. Now shooting a great big elk or something is a blast or a great big moose is, is awesome. But it's kind of fun to just give people a peek into a situation or into, you know, like you said, a big Milky Way over a camp scene or something. That's kind of, and that actually has a better market than a nice elk picture because mm -hmm. there's just not that many of them. So I think if someone, if we were to give any advice, I would think someone could spend more time shooting that kind. You could still shoot the wildlife, but if you spend some time working on lifestyle around the outdoors, it's competitive too. It's all competitive, but I think yeah. it's a little bit more open. I would, I would say that's true. I think, uh, you know, and that's probably why I get hired to do different, you know, like go on different hunting trips or whatever, because like, that is what I like to shoot. And so I think companies or whoever see value in like what I bring back from the trip. Um, but yeah, I would say it's definitely more open. So if people are listening to this and are like trying to get into it, yeah, maybe don't focus too much on, you know, like I need to shoot photos of big white tails. Like that's, <laughs> that's yeah. great. But there's a lot, you know, like there's a lot of guys that do that. So yep. yeah, it's yep. very yep. competitive. Yeah. So where can people find you, Sam? On, uh, when I did a search, you have LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, your websites just give us a snapshot into all that and we'll obviously put it on the show notes but if you could just call that stuff out that'd be great perfect yeah so uh most of my stuff goes on my instagram so it's just at sam soholt um, my youtube channel is just sam soholt um, our apparel site is publiclandtees.com and then our instagram page is publiclandtees and then all of our you know youtube stuff goes through my my channel so dogs barking back there but <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> um no yeah so it's just that, that's pretty much the majority of it but yeah publiclandtees.com and then either at sam soholt or at publiclandtees and what we'll do is we'll put in the show notes in addition to all these links we'll put some links to or we'll actually embed some of your youtube videos in the show notes just because it's fun i was watching a few before we hopped on the podcast just i saw you take the van to what was it pennsylvania for quigley I watched some of the stuff. I loved your turkey drawing, your artist one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm going to put that one in. Thing. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was it, fun. Please. I was seriously <laughs> like, I, I can't wait to see what he's drawn. And then when I saw it, I'm like, oh, okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, that was my, uh, that's one of my favorite videos I've ever made. The best part is like people who like, you know, family and like people who like really know me were like, oh my God, dude, you had me going so hard. Like, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm pretty a, proud of that one. <laughs> it's an awesome one for sure. Really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, chat with us here and tell us your story, man. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's uh, Like I said, it's just fun to be able to talk about all the photo stuff because so typically I only focus on the public land stuff and the vehicle projects and whatever. So um, yeah. definitely good. Go back to what got me into all this. Yeah, well, it's nice to see, you know, they're, they're, for everybody to see, right, that you can still make a living doing photography. <laughs> you know, you might have to be a little creative, but you can do it. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, cool. thanks so much, Sam. We appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop we it. And as always, down. thanks for tuning Driving in. Down the 405. Sing along to
gonna make it someday Nothing's gonna get in our way We will be the biggest band in time 